Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Rick Taran about why the narrative about older workers is upside down. Rick Terry, and welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hey, John. How are you? I am great. It's great to be with you, and I'm excited to have a nice conversation today. You are uh, an entrepreneurship guru, and we're going to have a really great conversation around entrepreneurship generally and your Center for Ageless Entrepreneurs. Uh, But we're also really going to be focusing the episode today on why the narrative about older workers is upside down. There's all these narratives out there. We, we hear them about younger workers, millennial Gen Z workers. We hear them about older workers. I suppose there's some kernels of truth to all of these narratives, uh, but they certainly don't. Uh, they're overly simplistic uh, for sure, and they don't tell the full story, and they can be pr- quite problematic. So we're going to dissect that a little bit and better understand uh, the value that older workers bring to the table in organizations as well as as entrepreneurs. As we get started, I wanted to share Rick's bio with everybody. Rick Terrian is passionate about empowering entrepreneurs in the second half of life to achieve their vision. He is a lifelong entrepreneur and co-founder of the new nonprofit Center for Ageless Entrepreneurs. Did you know most startups in the U.S. are launched by people 45 and older? Rick has started and run multiple businesses across diverse industries with most of the fireworks coming after he turned 45. Uh, What a wonderful background. I'm super excited to, to dive on into this. Anything else you want to share with listeners by way of your background before we launch in? No, I think we're, let's just launch. This is going to be fun, John. Okay. Well, so I, I would love to hear a little bit more about your passion around entrepreneurship. And like you say in your bio, many businesses across diverse industries, uh, maybe just give us a brief, you know, couple minutes sketch of the trajectory of your career and, and why you became so passionate about entrepreneurship, some of the, the endeavors you've been a part of, and why this has moved you into what you're doing now. Sure. Well, I started a small business while I was in college with a bowl of change on the dorm room dresser. And that business went, uh, I sold it when I was 25 years old. It's, it was still going at 40. Um, I started another one. I, I sell these things for sabbaticals, not, not uh, crazy money. Uh, took a sabbatical, figured out the next thing. I went into an engineering business that I started. Um, That was the one where I started when I was 45. Um, That won a bunch of national awards and international awards. Uh, It was really fun, Um, but it got a little too big for me. And I I generally like to work in the muck and mire of blank pieces of paper and get these things started. So I started a consultancy and I started working around food in general. It was a new field for me, but um, I was consulting for some of the largest 
food companies in the world, trying to help them integrate up and down their supply chains, which is a very important topic now. But the thing that struck me, and it, to your point, is I would see these industries where there was, it was a hundred year old association, 115 year old association. And this network, this web of vendors and bankers and support people and logistics and genetics and all these people had learned to work with one another over the decades. And at the same time, out in the hallway, I'd see five or six people gathered together, older workers saying goodbye to each other. And they're walking out the door because they had hit 64, 65, some mandatory, piece that everybody just assumed they had to go. So they got the watch and they're walking out the door. And I'm thinking, this is one of the dumbest things I have ever seen in my life. Here's all this industry knowledge and networks and know-how walking out the door. I mean, that's just dumb. Think of if all of those people could have stayed connected to the mothership, the corporations they grew up with, or this industry and go out and be supported by their industry and start little small scale brush fires all over, little startups that would gather intelligence and information about markets that these big behemoths couldn't buy for a billion dollars. Um, and, and these are sending people back into markets that they love and communities they love. I mean, what's wrong with that? Why are we doing this? This is just dumb. We're all leading and living longer lives. Um, it's not for everybody. There's some people who aren't going to want to do this, but there's many people who do want to continue to make a contribution. And uh, I'd like to help put an infrastructure in place for that. Yeah, well, that's that's wonderful. And you're absolutely right. I mean, we, we know over the last decade, really after, over the last two decades, we've continued, continued to see uh, the average retirement age bump up higher and higher. So people are working longer. And there's a variety of reasons for that. But one very... Uh, practical reason is people are just living longer. And so you're going to work longer. If people are staying healthy longer and are able and capable, why not? Uh, they have all this experience, all this knowledge, um, all the capabilities, why not? Uh, and to your point, everyone wants to live a life of meaning and purpose and fulfillment. And, you know, I, I, I still have a long time before I get to the point of retirement, but sometimes I stop and think about it. And it doesn't sound very appealing to me at the moment, simply because I think I would go crazy if I had just stopped doing stuff. I'm like, what would I do with my time? Um, and, and I know there's lots of things you can do, and I know people love retirement, uh, but I, th I think your point is it doesn't have to be an either or. You don't have to go from like the hustle bustle of corporate America, you know, working crazy hours, and then all of a sudden drop off the cliff and like go from a hundred to zero in, in, uh, you know, five seconds, you, you, you can scale back, you can do side hustles, even in retirement years, there's all sorts of things you can do. And it's, it's really a great loss for the workforce, for industry, for corporations, when we lose all of this institutional knowledge, all this experience, this wealth of, of knowledge, experience, wisdom, and everything associated with what these companies are trying to do. Well, just in the United States alone, in this demographic, 45 to 70, 65 in there, there's 100 million people and 25 million of them when surveyed, a quarter of them said that they would like to continue on and start their own small enterprise. Well, if you do 25 million people times 30 years of work experience, which is typical, that's 750 million years of human talent. 
I mean, this is just nuts uh, that, that we're not putting that to use. And the other half of that equation, to your point about the styles of businesses that they could go into, um, you don't need to get yourself on the cover of magazines for this. When I was doing the research for the book, um, there was pre-pandemic, there was 32 million total businesses in the United States. And of those 25 million, over 75% were one person businesses. Now, granted, they don't generate the big revenues and the investment and all of that stuff. But if you're one of those um, and you're making a contribution and you're continuing to live your life in a way you want it to, you find something, tell me something wrong with that. Most of those one person businesses also, U.S. Census Bureau say, don't necessarily work full time. They pick up gigs when they want. They put themselves in the game when they want. They make partnerships with others, which is what I'm working on. Um, it's, it's a golden age of entrepreneurship and talent, and we just need to get people thinking in the right direction. Yeah, and I, and I don't know the current stat, but what I've heard repeatedly uh, in recent years is something around 80% of the workforce in the United States works for small businesses. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, there, there are obviously big corporations and lots of people that work for those big corporations. But again, on average, the vast majority of, of people that live day to day in your communities, in your neighborhoods, they're working for these small businesses, whether it's a one person shop or it's, you know, uh, you know, uh, 10, 15, 20 people or whatever, that's the norm. That's where most people work. And so there's a lot of value in these small enterprises and it doesn't just have to be big corporations to add value to our communities, to the economy uh, and in everything else, you know, that comes and benefits from these types of economic and, and corporate activities. So you've already started to share a little bit about, you know, this idea around up, uh, older workers, you know, you get to a certain age and then people start talking about retirement. And uh, a lot of times organizations start to kind of gently nudge people towards retirement. You have to be very careful about that because, you know, age discrimination is a thing and you can get in big trouble if you're overt. But it's pretty common that organizations try to gently nudge people that direction. Uh, so the question then becomes why? why? Why are we trying to shoo these people out the door? What's kind of this common narrative and why do you think it's upside down? I think it's upside down because that's what we grew up with. And, and people are just accepting old standards for this when in fact this labor market is itself upside down now. Talent is hard to come by. Competence is hard to come by. Um, we're working on an idea instead of for older workers, when a corporation and the worker decide they want to start parting, there is not really anything in stone that says that has to be a sharp cut and off you go and good luck and good luck with gardening. Um, the idea is, is we're using the term phased retirement where the employer and the employee could get together and say, well, how would you like to disconnect here? And certainly, John, there's ways to beat this system and, and beat people out of benefits and all of that. I'm not going to Pollyanna this. But in fact, as most people want to continue working, corporations want to find a useful way to keep talent, keep them involved. So by doing a phased retirement, normally there's, we, we part with our companies and we have non-competes that lock us out of these industries and lock us out of the stuff we know. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not settled on the words yet, but there needs to be something like a please compete uh, where we can send these folks off with their knowledge networks and they can bring this information and data back to the motherships and they can support one another as that is a slow motion separation. 
I think there's a lot of uh, merit in that. And I think these corporations are slowly coming around to the fact that um, these are really talented people and we don't want them walking out the door. Well, yeah, the, the knowledge gap, the skills gap that happens when we see uh, the older uh, segment of the labor force starting to exit, it, it's a big, big problem. We know, I mean, just generally speaking, zooming out a little bit, we know that there's already a big skills gap in the U.S. labor economy, for example. Uh, and that's that's even more stark in STEM fields, in certain fields like um, nursing and healthcare management, those sorts of things. So we have pockets uh, where there's already just like a tremendous gap. Um, and then you have this huge segment of the baby boomer population, which was this big kind of bubble, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the age. Uh, and what, what am I trying to think of the, the age cohort kind of bubble that, that moved along post-World War II, that is the bubble now that's kind of entering these retirement years and exiting the workforce. And that's only exacerbating this skills knowledge uh, gap that we're seeing in the workforce. Um, so it, it makes sense that we want to try to tap in, to continue to tap into that uh, segment of the labor market, uh, whether it's through phased departures, phased retirement, whether it's through um, ongoing consultant uh, arrangements and, and contingent arrangements with these workers as they leave full-time employment. There's a lot of ways you can go about doing this, but the bottom line is, it's a real waste of human capital if we just see all of this, this uh, talent walk out the door. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Well, and it isn't just painful to the ones that are walking out the door and the corporations that are missing that opportunity. Um, there's trillions of dollars at stake in new products and services for this age group. And several really solid venture funds have been set up to do this. Uh, one of them is a gentleman named Alan Petrikoff and uh, Abby Miller-Levy, uh, who started one called the Venture Fund. It's called a, a prime time. And I'm going to quote Ms. Levy very quickly here, but it speaks to the value of staying in the game, keeping people in their skill sets available to the wider audience for the rest of the economy as well, not just the closing end of it. But her point is, 
If you're starting a, a new business, go find an experienced professional who's been in the industry for 20 or 30 years. You're starting uh, for 20 or 30 years of the industry you're starting your startup in. Go find a co-founder that has experience, the network, the understanding, and frankly, the relevancy to the end user that looks like them. And go co-design a business with someone who looks, uh, someone who is of the target group you're looking to serve. I think that would be one piece of advice we would be very passionate about. Um, it's not just that we're taking care of old people here. We're taking care of young people as well. We're integrating, we're having intergenerational solutions uh, to problems that are pervasive around the world. So. Yeah, yeah. And I think another part of this narrative that I see is upside down. I mean, there's a stereotype that older workers are not uh, technologically savvy, that they can't keep up with the disruptive innovations in the workplace. And while there certainly can be some truth to that, um, that's true of all populations, uh, all, all generations. Uh, it, it's also the stereotype that millennial and Gen Z workers, you know, as digital natives, that they just innately understand technology and are adaptive. Again, uh, on average, maybe that's true, but that's certainly not universally true. And so I think we have these kind of stereotypes and narratives that we spin around these different segments of the workforce uh, that that really can be problematic in terms of how we're dealing with individuals actually in our organizations. Uh, are some of the older workers, are they willing to reskill and upskill to learn some of the new technologies that will allow them to continue to contribute as the nature of work shifts? Some aren't going to be willing to do that. That's fine. Uh, but there are many who are perfectly capable and perfectly willing to do that. And if we can invest in them a little bit, to help them reskill and upskill, then we, we not only have the upside of just kind of the general reskilling of the workforce, but we, we then re-engage and re-tap into the 30, 40 years of, of experience and, and wisdom that they have in relation to the industry. Well, you're so right. And the other point that I'm thinking of here also is that back to this intergenerational mixing. Yes, tech is a really important part of almost every, every business now. But so is sales and marketing and HR and understanding how to work in a workplace and how to do a cold call. I mean, there's a thousand skill sets that aren't being taught uh, that are resident in this older generation. So certainly there's some give and take. Tech is the thing we're all hanging our, in our closet and hanging the rest of our businesses off of. And that, that is needed. But um, arranging tech to uh, serve all of employees is probably the answer to that rather than just assume that one segment's going to be able to figure it out. Right. Yeah. Making those assumptions is incredibly problematic <laughs> and really, and really, really short-sighted. Um, and I thought I would just share a quick example too. I, I've shared this example on this podcast previously. Um, so some diehard listeners who've been around a long time might recall this, this uh, story, but years ago, this was probably 10 years ago or so it was, it was around uh, it, it was post-2008 um, recession, so it was probably 2009-2010, and uh, I, I was teaching a, a group of university students, uh, and we were talking about some of these same types of issues that you and I are discussing right now, and one of the students in the classroom told the story with, you know, to the class about her father, who was a senior engineer at Boeing. Um, during the recession, Boeing decided they needed to cut labor costs, and he made a whole lot of money because he'd been there a long time. He was a senior engineer, and they they put a, they wanted to 
to phase him out, right? So they put him on early retirement. He gets a really sweet severance package uh, and he, he's sitting pretty. The problem was as soon as he walks out the door within a matter of like three years, they just churn through replacements. Like nobody's sticking, nobody knows what he knew and they can't figure out how to do what he was doing. And so there's this huge bottleneck that's causing all these problems. So they, they not only have his replacement, his full-time replacement, he got early retirement and this huge severance. Now there's a replacement. They turned through several people. They hire him back on as a consultant, making way more than he was making when he was on the payroll as a full-time employee. And think of all of those costs that Boeing incurred simply because they were a little short-sighted about how to deal with this knowledge transfer uh, of this older employee as he was, you know, getting to the later years of his career. Uh, it, I think it's just, it's, it's a prime example of exactly what you and I are talking about today. And it's avoidable. We don't need to find ourselves in those kinds of traps. We don't need to uh, have all those expenses and costs and lost productivity and uh, just everything that is so, was associated in that example. Right. And while he did get those sweet severance packages on his on his way out um, and he still has those in the bank, uh, but now he's got maybe the greatest reward of all. He's got control over his own time. That's what we all wish for throughout our careers, no matter when we are as young parents, all the way up through grandparenting. It's the control of your time that is really the benefit. And now he's got his severance package and he's got control over his time and he gets to set his schedule and work when and for who he wants to. I mean, that's, that's a happy ending. Yeah. And, and that's one example of many that I'm aware of similar types of scenarios uh, where, where simply this knowledge transfer didn't occur uh, where organizations in an attempt to cut labor costs, they, they, you know, th- th- there's this idea that, you know, we have these, these older employees have been around a long time, we have to pay them a ton because over time, their salaries have grown, and it's more expensive to provide benefits for them. And, and so we're just, we'll let them go, we'll pay a severance, we'll get them off our books, and we'll just hire some younger person out of college uh, for way less money. And it's a win-win for everyone. That's the thinking, right? Tell, tell, tell me what's wrong with that thinking. <laughs> it's a win-win for everybody but the corporation, right? Um, you want to continue just doing training your whole life, that's fine. And there will certainly be churn in here, but why don't we do it a little more humanely and give everybody the chance to continue making contributions the way they want to. And we're going to need to do that with our younger workers as well. I mean, they're, they're in the catbird seat right now, just like uh, people with skills that are older. And that's one of the reasons we're putting together this Center for Ageless Entrepreneurs. It's for that 25% that wants to still keep going or who wants to learn about entrepreneurship in the second half of life and have a peer-to-peer network to help organize that among themselves. That's the way to scale this thing. Yeah, I love it. The other piece of all of this that we've been discussing, and it's not necessarily unique to, to older workers, this older demographic, um, but we've seen a steady increase in the prevalence of the gig economy of contingent workforce and distributed workforce over the last, really the last 20 years, it's accelerated over the last 10 years. And then during the pandemic, it just like shot up. Right. And so we, we've seen this acceleration and people are more and more comfortable with all these technologies uh, that, that maybe 18 months ago, 
they they weren't keen on utilizing. Right. And and what we see is whether we're talking about young people who want to be digital nomads and just kind of be their own boss and work when they need to and roam and go wherever they want and work from wherever they want. We're talking about an older uh, worker who wants to phase out of corporate life and maybe start their side hustle and do their own thing on their own terms, on their own time. Uh, the, the, the rise in the gig economy and the continued workforce has increased those opportunities. Uh, and there are many platforms out there where I, as a corporate leader, can go and rent talent. Uh, so, so I don't need to hire someone full-time or even part-time to work as an employee of the organization. They can be a contract worker. They can be a gig worker uh, and still provide meaningful value to the company. There's lots of platforms where I can connect with engineers, with coders, with marketing and PR people, with anything, anything you can think of. It's there. That labor force uh, is there. And that's something that really, I mean, it, it existed kind of in pockets, um, previously, but over the last 10 years, that's just grown exponentially. And over the last 18 months, I mean, even more so, uh, this provides even more opportunity for, for, um, the older generation who are maybe wanting to slow down a little bit, wanting to scale back a little bit, but still want to be engaged. still want to have meaning and purpose in the work that they've devoted their careers to. They can do it. They can do it, uh, by, by taking on these contingent and contract types of assignments, uh, and, and doing their own, uh, starting their own kind of consulting business or their, their own side hustle where they can do these things on a smaller scale, perhaps, than what they were doing during their career. And it's not uh, a stigma in any way to be doing this. It's what all the cool kids are doing, right? Uh, it's just part of the new economy. And it isn't just here. I mean, I'm talking to people all over the planet who are seeing this model emerge. I've got a, a, my, my board chair, before we get sued for this, is what has been referring to this as the Angie's list of LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, having a group that you can come to and say, I need a chief technical officer. I need a landscape specialist. I need a fire safety suppression specialist. Any of these things, if those people have learned to network with each other in their one person entities, when that opportunity arises, anybody can say, yeah, I got a team for that. Uh, give me a couple of days, I'll put this together. The team can go out. Hopefully there's a champion on the ground at wherever that project is that they can advise. And then one by one, they can blend back into the network. Um, it's almost a perfect scenario for continuing at your own pace. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Well, Rick, it has been a real pleasure. I note the time it has flown by. This has been a really fun conversation. Uh, before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, learn more about the Center for Ageless Entrepreneurs, uh, anything else you would like to share with listeners um, by way of closing. And uh, then we'll do the final word on the topic for today. Great. Thank you. Uh, yep. The website for this new network is agelessentrepreneurs.org. It is a non 501c3 nonprofit organization. There's a newsletter, a sign up for the newsletter uh, link at the bottom of that. We've also got some scheduled free introductory meet the CAE kind of meetings where people can bring questions to. Um, and so just, just getting on the list and making sure you're connected. Once we've got your email, we can keep you connected as long as you want to stay connected. Perfect. And what would you say as the final word on the topic for uh, older workers in, later in their twilight years, still leveraging all their expertise uh, as they scale back uh, 
in their participation in the workforce. So I'm going to use a quote from a guy you just interviewed, Doug Knoll in California. The wonderful guy. He interviewed. Uh, I interviewed him for my book as well. Um, and I asked him. I said, "What advice would you give to people considering entrepreneurship in the second half of life?" And he said, "Follow your heart. Be courageous. Forget about the money. Bring light into dark places. Be persistent, disciplined, and patient. Celebrate success." And he's Doug has been living that life and proving it. And many of us continue to follow this kind of path. Uh, it's not as hard as it looks. Welcome. I love it. Thank you so much, Rick. It has been a real pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Rick and his team can do for you. Check out the Center for Ageless Entrepreneurs. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.